32 counties united by people. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. (laughs) Every week in United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. Before we talk about what we're getting into this week, which I'm very excited about, if you haven't already listened to our bonus episode on the Uber files from last week, do it. Um, It's a great insight into an explosive story and also really interesting chats with Simon Carswell about how the story actually came about through the ICIJ, which is the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Now, Andrea, this week we're leaning into the positive vibes. What is going on on the podcast this week? So this week we have been noticing a lot of greenery popping up around uh, the city and we have a good news story week as we talk to DCC about their biodiversity and parks that are just really, I follow their parks Instagram page, I'm flat out dropping the hearts all over the place, it's just great to watch. So very excited to talk to their biodiversity officer about what is happening to the city. Excellent. Um, first of all, if you want us to be flourishing, rewilding and growing, um, why not support us on Patreon? If you want to spread oh some good God, vibes. What a beautiful segue. Thank you. If you want to spell some, spread some good vibes um, in our direction, look no further than patreon.com forward slash United Ireland you, where you can pay for this podcast. Keep going. It's three euro a month. You can make United Ireland last forever and help us pay for the costs associated with giving you the episodes you deserve. Thank you so much to everyone who does that already. Get on patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and keep this podcast going. Um, Yeah, that's the vibe. Now let's get into the state of the nation. Well, obviously a lot of the state of many nations around Europe have been orientated around everybody being too hot and the world heating up in dramatic fashion as we've seen. What else has been going on, Andrea? Apart from the the world burning, we have also seen the doll um burn out for summer. <laughs> yes. Um Always good to see them go off for their holidays until they come back in September. It means that, well, what used to be silly season would happen um, where there would just be, you know, just kind of not made yuppy, but reaches of stories and uh, light enough things like that. But of course, it seems that the news never stops and there's way too much going on for that to happen. I suppose one a, a, a throwback to that is Mary Lou MacDonald is out in Australia talking up the New Ireland to everyone, telling everyone to come home. Come on well, home. You've had enough. Come on home. Be a unit of labour. Um, in a side note on the door closing, what was absolutely... Um, upsetting was to see so many of those bills be, having amendments pushed through at the last minute. Um, the ICCL have called for some action to be taken on that because um, due process is not happening and um, 
yeah, there's, I suppose, there's an, uh, what they're calling ongoing abuse of parliamentary processes uh, that cannot continue. And if you look at when the amount, the number of bills passed by the Oireachtas right before summer and Christmas recesses, it flies up um, and they go at breakneck speed, which means oversight suffers, unexamined legislation is allowed to pass without proper scrutiny. And for obviously the interest of this pod, there was a bill put through with a lot of amendments on developments, etc. So nobody really had a chance to read them. And they were given like three minutes to vote on them then. Yeah, That's some bills. No. And I mean, it's kind of always been the way that things would be um, pushed through like that, I guess, in housing and development and stuff like that. You know, it's just totally unacceptable given the crisis that we're in. And I guess it also just shows that people are paying more attention to that stuff now as well, you know, um, about wanting accountability, which is the flavor of the decade. Speaking of accountability, uh, it does seem that Liz Truss is going, probably will be the next British Prime Minister. I'm sure there'll be like 19 scandals a day um, until that actually happens, but... Till she like, gets to make her leaving speech and throw in hasta la vista, baby. Um, <laughs> imagine, like, imagine, like Liz. Your Trump. legacy speech. Your legacy speech. Um, Rishi, like maybe he'll get. I mean, look, talk about a a, a bunch of r- randomers um, who are who are kind of have been going for it and dropping out with various scandals or whatever. Um, so yeah, roll on the next PM if Boris actually leaves. Well, uh, actually what the UK are focusing on and making their top legislative priority at the moment is the pro- protocol bill, which had a vote uh, that went through, I think it was the third one. So it looks like uh, there may be trouble ahead for the protocol. Um, and obviously the EU are taking no prisoners and being like, well, that's not going to happen. So their new PM is going to have a lot of fun with what that's going to entail. I have, I've been saying this for ages and maybe I should stop saying it because you never want to kind of <laughs> manifest bad things. But I just feel like whoever's the next prime minister at this time, the one after that will be pretty Patel. It's like, it's the inevitable outcome like who is the most abhorrent um in terms of fashy flavors um and she keeps coming up with all these random ideas that are kind of going on the radar a bit did you see her latest one about how they want she wants to um and that's a crackdown aimed at middle class drug use uh which basically she's proposing that um people I don't know how they define like recreational drug users or whatever. Um, But she wants um, people who take drugs to have their passports and driving license confiscated. (laughs) Anyone who drinks alcohol will have to have it done, won't they? (laughs) Um, Yeah, like these ridiculous policies. Anyway, um, I... I'm kind of confused. Like now, I've been totally offline and everything for the past week. Almost, I've I've been away, but I'm really confused by why this Dublin Zoo whistleblower thing isn't getting more coverage. Um, this is Annie Howey, the Labour senator, has been on top of this, um, with regards to how animals have been treated and 
there's probably going to be um, an investigation now into the zoo uh, with regards to animal welfare. Um, and in particular, uh, the death or the nature of the death, how um, one of the gorillas died, his silverback gorilla died in 2016 and the whistleblower spoke about um, what their experience was of how um, how this animal suffered. Um, so I think that's really interesting because I just always find it so bizarre that like, now I'm probably, you're probably not meant to like, say this kind of stuff for popular attractions that families love or whatever but I always find it so bizarre the massively positive vibes that there are to towards Dublin Zoo and remember in the pandemic people were like no we have to give it loads of money to keep it there and I know that like families like walking around the zoo with kids or whatever but zoos are just I just I just think zoos are as a concept are awful anyway so that's my that's my position on it um you know <laughs> in you ge- <laughs> yeah but like I just feel like you know they're I have they're- I have to engage more critical thinking on it but I do know that the narrative that is provided is that it it is for keeping species alive and breeding that's nonsense and- like they're living in in enclosures you know I just anyway I just don't agree with them as a concept I think people should spend more time not destroying habitats and making the world uh, impossible for animals to live in and like cutting down rainforests and all that kind of stuff. Like maybe we should focus on actually keeping animals alive where they live uh, instead of putting them in. You're not in Madagascar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have actually. Uh, And yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, let's, we might go back to that um, because I know it's unpopular uh, to be, you know, pointing a finger at a particular family attraction or whatever, but the whistleblower claims are very serious and um, anything where animals are being already being locked up and then uh, potentially treated poorly in some instances, according to this whistleblower, um, should be looked at very seriously. But... Let's focus on some good vibes that are happening in the capital as we talk about the green, green grass, flowers and biodiversity of Dublin City. Now, pockets of Dublin City have been coming alive and turning green as wildflowers take over the lawns, wastelands and roadside verges of the capital this isn't by accident. Along with the opening of a swathe of new parks, Dublin City Council have been doing a great job of starting to regreen our city. We've been fascinated watching the rollout of this greening and of the moving away from manicured areas in favour of a more natural element of nature coming to the fore. This morning, we are joined by Lorraine Bull, who's the Biodiversity Officer of Dublin City Council, to find out what's going on and how we got to this point. Good morning, Lorraine. Thanks for coming on. Good morning, Andrea. Um, could you start by telling us a bit about the Dublin City Biodiversity Action Plan that is from 21 to 25, when it was created, who was involved, what was the journey to get it over the line and what is its ambition? So the Biodiversity Action Plan, uh, the latest iteration of the plan, um, I worked on myself. So just to add, in Dublin City, we've had a Biodiversity Action Plan since 2008. 
Um, so this is the third such plan. So this plan really looks at um, biodiversity across the city. Um, so there's five themes within the plan, and that includes, um, you know, partnerships, um, working with community groups, working with um, the Dublin Bay Biosphere Partnership. Um, but there's actions there for conservation projects, uh, research. Um, it's a very action-based plan, um, but we also need to do um, research as part of that. So in order to know what to conserve um, or whether something's in decline, you need to study it on an ongoing basis. Um, so, for example, we did an otter survey across Dublin back in 2019, and we'll be doing more studies in relation to the population of otters across the city. Um, so the plan really um, helps us focus and target specific actions for biodiversity across the city. Um, and that would include then... Um, uh, you know, initiatives specifically for pollinators, which is what a lot of you've, you've discussed there in relation to wild, wildflowers and also what we call naturalization, which is allowing areas to grow wilder. Um, and that really is very, very important for pollinators. So a third of the wild bee population here in Ireland is at risk of extinction. Um, and so a lot of us um, working in the conservation sector, we're here in Dublin City Council, we're signed up to the All-Island Pollinator Plan. Uh, but there's a nationwide um, push to try and preserve our wild bee um, pollinators. Um, so that would include the likes of um, bumblebees, but also hoverflies, solitary bees, um, and also butterflies as well. Butterflies are also very important pollinators. Um, so in terms of how the structure works um, across the city, there's the development plan. There's then an overall um, arching parks strategy. So the biodiversity unit in Dublin City Council is based within parks. And then within that, then under the park strategy, we have there's a tree strategy. So we have a tree officer who looks after street trees and trees across the city. And then there's myself. So I have then the biodiversity action plan. Um, and we also have an invasive species action plan. Then another strategy that parks has is our greening strategy. So the likes of the new parks, um, the likes of some of the areas where you can see across the city where there's lifting of concrete and actually planting or opening up of green spaces, that's done through greening strategies that we have. So they'll be based on a local area. So, for example, there's a northeast inner city greening strategy. There's um, Stony Batter. There has been liberties in the past. Um, and so there's a combination of the work I do in in biodiversity on the biodiversity action plan plus the greening strategies that our um, landscape architect team are rolling out um, across the city so that's really um, what's reflected um, and then the parks staff um, we changed the mowing regime so we've had a herbicide policy um, since 2018 and we've eliminated the use of glyphosate across our um, grassland management those parks and open spaces years ago used to be sprayed um, so now we're actually using different techniques more manual techniques um, for controlling, um, uh, you know, weeds. But also, I would also be constantly making the case that, look, a lot of weeds in a lot of areas are actually really important for pollinators. So we look at, I like going into an area and looking at it holistically and seeing what will work in terms of improving an area for biodiversity. What is the most challenging part of your role and what is your, fav your favourite part of your role? Uh, the most challenging sometimes is curbing enthusiasm, <laughs> which can sometimes be a bit misguided. Um, so, for example, you know, people will think they're doing 
um, good initiatives for, for biodiversity. Um, and that's not just not members of the public, that's sometimes within our park section, within other sections of DCC, and that they'll presume that they're doing something for, you know, for biodiversity, but actually they're not realizing sometimes that can has a, have a consequence so for example um you know honeybee hives particularly in the center of dublin have become very very popular mm. and that actually increases competition um so within an area um species will compete for various resources so that would be nectar that would be pollen um so while we're trying to increase um our planting in some areas for pollinators and then naturalizing other areas to allow the likes of, you know, dandelions, clover, uh, buttercup, bramble, which are actually very important plants for pollinators. Um, if you then add more and more and more other um, species and numbers of a species, say such as a honeybee, you can actually um, create competition and actually, and actually drive um actually the extinction of some of those wild bee populations in, in some areas. Um, also as well, there's obviously a lot of planning. Um, so, so resource is always an issue, you know, um, and nationally there's a push to have more biodiversity officers. Um, so again, we're hoping that we're going to have, you know, more resources in order to help strengthen that both at a local level, but then also nationally as well. Um, and then the best thing I enjoy about my job, um, I really like the variety um, I work on a lot of different things. Um, we were just at the Rose Festival there over the weekend. So I got to talk to people about biodiversity and the work that we do and also the work that people, uh, or the actions that people can take at home to help biodiversity as well. Um, and I've, I always like to um, say to people that like, there's a lot of um, negativity and get a bit overwhelmed, both in terms of, uh, if you look at uh, nationally, but also globally in terms of the biodiversity loss and also issues in relation to climate change. Um, but I always like to stress um, to people that even if you're doing a small amount at home, even if you're in a home garden, even if you have a balcony, you know, you can plant um uh, plants for pollinators, you know, some of those are also suitable for birds. You can provide bird seed, you can provide water, especially crucial this time of the year, but also in winter. Um, so you can take these small actions, which if everybody is doing that across the city, it will actually have um, a really good impact um, for biodiversity. How do you go about rolling out a plan like the Biodiversity Action Plan? Like, how do you decide where you're going to do it and what areas um, are most susceptible to this kind of engagement with? Uh, well, for this plan, we had uh, we established a biodiversity forum. So we did quite a lot of outreach in relation to this plan. So in general, we'll have across Dublin, we'll have protected areas. So our most protected area nationally is Bull Island. So we automatically have... Um, through so there's a Natura 2000 site Dublin Bay is a Natura 2000 site so there'll be various obligations that the councils will have to fulfill um, in relation to that in order to help protect habitats but also species so you always include you always have those areas first um, but then also for across the city there'll be some areas we know are very important sites for biodiversity um, but we had our Dublin city habitat map updated in 2020 in preparation for the new plan. Um, and that would have highlighted, um, you know, these protected areas, but then other areas, you know, that are also then important for biodiversity at a local level. Um, 
And then, as I say, we had the Biodiversity Forum. So we drew up a list of draft actions, presented that to the forum, you know, got their feedback. Um, and the forum included uh, people from third level um, institutes such as UCD, Trinity, DCU, um, and NUI Galway as well. Um, and then it included a lot of the NGOs, um, the likes of, you know, Birdwatch Island, the Well and Dolphin Group, um, Irish Wildlife Trust, for example, Antashka. Um, and also then we put it all together and put that out to public consultation. Um, so then people had an opportunity to respond to that. Um, and that's really how we formulated the plan. We also did a, a Your Dublin, Your Voice questionnaire um, prior to drafting the plan, which really um, was a list of questions um, to tease both people's knowledge, but also possibly what they felt about biodiversity and biodiversity conservation across the city. So there's been lots of different elements that have actually fed into this plan and helped formulate the plan. Um, it's an extensive plan. It, as I say, it's got five themes, its objectives, and there's lots of actions um, for biodiversity across the city. Um, and what are, what are the five themes? So there is um, uh, the number one is building uh, building for biodiversity. So that's actually looking at planning issues um, and also how where we've got. Um, so, for example, if, if you're planning new development, there's certain things that you can do, such as installing swift bricks, um, installing areas for biodiversity within that area. So you could potentially have uh, bats in the area. So there's particular planting that you could put in for bats, um, you know, such as tree lines and hedgerows, etc. Um, we've also got um, uh, like uh, restoring nature in the city. That's another theme. Um, so that's including identified sites, identifying sites for habitat restoration. And you'll see even through EU policy, the habitat restoration, there's a new EU nature law that's becoming more prevalent um, because we really need to um, restore areas that are important across the city. There's also river restoration measures that are happening um, across the city. Um, there's looking at, um, you know, working with community groups and community organisations, um, such as community gardens, small-scale rewilding. Um, there's, you know, maintaining nature. So that's that's really following the, some of the objectives I outlined earlier. Like we have conservation management objectives for sites um, across the city. We've also got um, an action plan for Bull Island. Um, we're also part of uh, the UNESCO Biosphere Reserve. There's a conservation research strategy as part of that. Um, and another theme would be understanding biodiversity. So that's looking at education, outreach, that's raising awareness, um, also citizen science projects um and then uh partnering um so so again that's a dublin bay biosphere partnership that's working with dublin mountains partnership um and we have then um information workshops exchange seminar um in-house training for dcc staff across different um departments um and then doing outreach with members of the public um and that's you know through um, other NGOs as well, such as um, the National Biodiversity Data Centre, Coastwatch, etc. Et so that would that would have um, the Rose Festival, for example, would fall under that um, outreach category. What do you think is working like really well in terms of you know kind of wins for the plan, and, and what isn't so much working well for biodiversity in the capital? 
Uh, well, I suppose for the plan, it's early days yet. It's hard to know um, sort of what's working well, what's what's not working well, um, because as I say, the plan is is literally just you know just from last year. Mm. Um, I mean, COVID obviously had restrictions in terms of certainly for the outreach, but also for some of the conservation research projects as well, um, because universities weren't allowed to send out researchers to do some of the work, um, and some of the ecologists themselves obviously couldn't uh, couldn't go out um but then in terms of say biodiversity across the city i think the the smaller scale um greening strategies are starting to have an impact um, there's still a long way to go on that because you need to even if an area is green or if it's got plants in it you need to provide that habitat and you need to also provide green corridors and ecological corridors um for wildlife um to, to really thrive and improve. Um, but also, uh, especially during the pandemic and also post-pandemic, there's a huge amount of work being done by community groups. And that really is going to have um, a really positive impact for biodiversity, both in the short term, but then in the medium to hopefully longer term. So there's a lot of groups now where, you know, years ago they might have just, you know, ripped out areas uh, or plants that would be suitable for pollinators um, and put in plants that would be less so. Um, but now they're actually becoming much more engaged with the message in order to try and preserve biodiversity. Um, and biodiversity awareness has great, has sorry increased um, a huge amount across the city as well with members of the public. Where would you say we go from here then, Um with everything that's been done, what are the plans for the future of the city from a greening perspective? Um, oh, what's it, the end goal? Uh, well, I mean, the end goal for myself, I'd like to see stronger ecological corridors across the city um, because, again, that really will have a positive impact on biodiversity. Um, a lot of the parks, as I say, the park strategy, greening strategies, there's multiple projects um, that are being rolled out over the next number of years. Now, the park strategy, uh, that's due for renewal very shortly. So that, again, is going to go out. Um, there's going to be public questionnaires um, to get people's feedback um, based on that strategy um, and what people would like to see um, in their public parks, but also then for biodiversity um linked to those parks across the city. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the projects, um, as I say, they'll be ongoing over the course of the plan. And then a review of that, of the existing plan is then done towards the end of the plan. Uh, but there will be updates each year in terms of actions that have been carried out. Um, we've got a, like river bird surveys, we've got um, birds of prey projects. We've got, um, as I say, the otter survey, and we've got a range of different projects that are that are being rolled out just over this year alone. Um, so then next year, then there'll be an increase in terms of the number of projects. And as I say, hopefully a national level and also local, if there's more biodiversity staff that are able to be employed, then that then has a positive impact because there's then more and more projects that can then be delivered. And finally, Lorraine, if you if people, if the average person in the capital or any Irish city really could do one thing to, you know, help you guys. Um, you know, it was interesting that you talk about like certain people think they're doing, you know, have a really good idea and they're doing something good, but actually it has, it may have kind of unintended consequences, but if they could do something to kind of add to or add to the biodiversity or help biodiversity of a city, what would that be? 
Uh, again, if they have uh, a, either a garden, if they have a local outdoor space, say if they're even in an apartment and they don't have their own garden space, but they have a shared public space, um, or if they have a balcony, there are uh, different measures that people can take to help improve biodiversity so they can allow an area to grow um, you know, throughout the course of the summer, allow an area to, to naturalize in their garden. Um, they could plant specific plants for pollinators, um, some of which are also useful for birds. Um, uh, not using pesticides is a really, really um, important factor trying to help biodiversity. A lot of biodiversity ends up getting poisoned, either the intentional um, target animal or then what we call secondary poisoning. Um, but we have resources. I mean, there's uh, we have um, leaflets on helping hedgehogs. There's uh, lots of information on how you can help pollinators at home in your garden and other resources that, um, you know, to help biodiversity um, in your garden. Um, so also as well, if people are interested in finding out more, they can always contact me. So the email address is biodiversity at dublincity.ie and I can send them links to various resources which can which can give them um, help. And I also, as I say, meet with community groups. Um, so I actually meet with the groups and also give talks myself about what people can, can do to help biodiversity um, in their local area. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine Bull, the Biodiversity Officer at Dublin City Council. Um, and I'd say a good few people will be getting in touch uh, with you for, for trying to figure out how, how they can do things better. So, um, yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. What's getting in the sea this week, Andrea? Una, it's your get in the sea this week. So you oh, it is. It Enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's an honour and a privilege to be here. Um, right. Now, we have spoken so many times about the destruction of cultural venues and things being knocked down and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, an infamous moment. And that was uh, the demolition of the Tivoli Theatre in Dublin 8. Um, and you may recall uh, the rather creative uh, planning um, criteria uh, that was kind of challenged and then adjusted. And it was around how this place could still be uh, have offer some kind of cultural merit and not what it ended up being, which is a uh, 242 Stay City Apart Hotel. <laughs> um, and then, you know, calling things like Liberty Square and Tivoli, whatever, you know, the the fake uh, names. Um, and and the, the ultimate burn having like artwork of the previous Tivoli theatre in the reception area. It's like, here's what you could have had. So there were loads of really ridiculous um, things with this this planning approval. Obviously, Tivoli, the, the car park of the Tivoli and, and the surrounding area was really important for street artists. And, you know, they had this criteria thing in, in the planning where they were going to have to photograph all of the graffiti and, you know, log it somewhere. And that was the whole thing of preserving it. But crucially, um, an aspect of the planning was that there would be kind of a public square and that there would be a cultural provision of cultural space in in, in there. That hasn't happened um, to any meaningful degree. Dublin Enquirer has a really good um, piece about this recently where the the units or whatever, the where there's meant to be bits are still empty. And now the 
uh, there is a new planning pr- application to actually gate the square that is meant to be public, that is meant to have public aspect or public access. Um, so this, again, is part of a trend of people who are um, developers who are basically putting in planning for a certain thing and saying that it's going to have all of this, you know, public bells and whistles and how it'll be a benefit in certain ways and that there will be cultural use and recreational use and all that kind of stuff. And then when it gets built, kind of going, oh, no, 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 we didn't actually mean that. <laughs> and this has um, happened um, with access to public squares on a uh, luxury student build on Mill Street. And the idea that basically you would get planning um, with the proviso that you should be doing these things and there should be replacing cultural facilities and there can be a public plaza and everybody can hang out and it'll actually be great for the community and then build it and then go, actually, now we want planning for that not to happen is, you know, ridiculous. But also, you know, the plan, the planning departments and, and, and well, on board Planola um, should be wise. <laughs> I know, yeah, laugh track, <laughs> laugh track in there and on board Planola. <laughs> Um, they should be wise to the fact that this is actually something that's hap- happening and when people are expressing their reservations about certain developments happening and, um, you know, being like, this will be really bad or they're not going to fulfill what they say they're going to do and then planners and so on, be, or the planning department or Borpanola or Antashka or whoever it is, being like, no, no, they told us, they told us that they were going to do something nice so we have to believe them is not good enough. Um, so that, just look at Newmarket Square. Exactly, yeah. We're going to still be a market and by market we mean Lundus. <laughs> um, so I think people really need to, to it, it's, it's unfair and it's um, really regressive when loads of people point out that this will would happen are told that we're being alarmist or naive or whatever and then it happens. So I don't know how there can be stricter criteria or like lie detector tests or something, but it's it's very disheartening. So that can get in the sea. Splash. Now it's time for it's bananas. This week, It's Bananas is a microaggression that has bigger implications on a global level. Let's go. I'm going to make it personal. Okay, my laptop. Updated itself. Big sore. Update. I have had my laptop for a year and a half. Logged on. The password I used to get into my computer wouldn't work. So Apple had locked me out of my own computer. So I brought it to my to the people who fix computers and I was like, I am locked out of my computer. I can't get into it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's really weird. I'm like, yeah, it is because it's my computer. I bought it and I can't get into it now. So then they were like, OK, well, you need to like get log in through the back way, blah, blah, blah. Use your Apple ID. And I was like, oh, obviously, I don't have any passwords for anything. So because I tried to reset my password of my Apple ID before and you have to apply to have your password reset if you don't have an iPhone and they decide if they're going to reset it or not. So you, you they're locking you out. Um, so 
I applied to have my password of my Apple ID reset so I could get into my computer. And they tell me that they, because I don't have an iPhone, that they would ring me in three weeks. So I can't use my laptop for three weeks because they did an update and I can't log in. And it feels like corporate espionage that we're literally being like taken for this wild ride where nobody who work it feels like apple don't give a shit about customers anymore you don't get headphones you don't get a charging facility with your phone anymore you, you are being and i looked up this particular update and a lot of people it happened to a lot of people so now i have to pay to get access to my computer that i bought because they've locked me out of my own computer and i just think it is the most banana thing in the world it's funny how apple used to be like not shit at that kind of stuff and now oh it's following the same the same kind of I'm on my journey to get a new HP Apple can fucking get in the sea because they're absolutely bananas the way they treat people like do you know what's her? mad as well in Ireland like we have the Apple European headquarters in this country and like 6,000 people working for Apple in Cork and now Apple store <laughs> Well, good. They can fuck off. I'm like, Andrea, Andrea. I know. I am actually, that's where I'm at. It is insane that corporations have this power over us. And I like, don't use their product. Fine. I'm not going to anymore. But like, how can they just lock you out of your computer? Just change your password. I think for me, it like, obviously the writing's been on the wall for a long time. Fine. But it really spells the future of how we need to disconnect from our technology overlords. Yeah. Nothing worse than a frustrating tech experience. You have my sympathies. But it's not just, a te- it's like the bigger picture of it, of what it means, of how they can, they can just do that. Yep. Yeah. There you go. That is bananas. I'll give that one to you. I'll give that one to you. Okay. <laughs> now it's time for our fave bits. What's making you tick this week, Andrea? Okay, so two things. Well, a few things. Firstly, after watching Top Gun, the remake, I'm obsessed with Tom Cruise movies at the moment, it seems, because I watched this film called American Made. Have you seen it? No. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's about Tom Cruise, who's a pilot. He's dissatisfied with his life, wants a bit of spice and then becomes a dual agent for the CIA and the drug cartels of Colombia. It, and he's flying up and down for, uh, to America. It is so good. It's just the type. It's like, don't you know that one with Leonardo DiCaprio about when he's an aviator? What, what's that? It's like... The aviator. No, it's called something else. Anyway, it's got oh, that Oh, catch vibe. me if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're literally like enthralled and it's a true story and you're like, whoa, the CIA are bananas. Um, It's just really good. Um, And it's like blockbuster vibe, but also like the world is fucked. The CIA are bananas. (laughs) You know, something like shit stirring done in a lightweight mode. My favorite type. Uh, Also, Wanderlust. This is a film with Jennifer Aniston and Justin Theroux where uh, they're, they go and live in a commune. And it is just one of the funny, I don't like comedy as a real, which I know is quite the statement to make, but I just don't usually find it funny. 
Um, but this Wanderlust funny film is just so laugh out loud gas. I would uh, ask everyone to watch it. And finally, something happened to me during the pandemic. I'm very personal. I'm getting very personal on this podcast. Something happened to me during the pandemic when I literally went to a drag show once a week. When all those seated dinner drag shows came out during the pandemic, I was up front and center living my best life. And then since they've opened, I haven't been to one drag show. What is the world, right? Okay, so that's bananas. So then last night, the share show opened in Borgot Theatre. And I went and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Drag is the best thing. Now, it's not a drag show, but it might as well be. It's so <laughs> camp and kitsch. And like, there's three shares at different stages of her life sing- being supportive of each other's as Cher and there's a lot of singing naturally and it tells the story of Cher's life which I didn't know actually it's absolutely gas it's so funny and I would highly recommend it if you want a night at the theatre that is just very camp kitsch and like literally every drag queen in Dublin was in the audience the homosexuality was right particularly male was rising through through the stalls um, and it's just it's a lot of glitter being thrown on the world deserved. Excellent. I think pe- people need that right now. Correct. Um, my fave bit. So last week we had our episode with um, on the Uber files. So we didn't get to do our fave bits last week. So I have a few um, fave bits sort of her hangovers of a, of a week or two. Um, the first being um, the interview that I did with Fran Leibovitz at the National Concert Hall, which was just so, so great. And it was so amazing to hang out with her and hear all of her opinions on everything. And she was just fantastic with the audience and everything. And it's just like, whoa, you're just so smart. Um, so that was great. And I think, I think everyone who went had a great time. So that was a really nice evening. Um, speaking of uh, having a good time, the gigs in the Ivy Gardens have just been so brilliant. And I went to see Caribou and I'd just been longing for that moment, which I hadn't really had yet at a gig um, this year, actually, w- which was just that total release, absolute party vibes, everyone having dancing, everyone dancing, everyone having fun, everyone like screaming, shouting, it just being brill. So I was right up the front, had a ball. I know you're in the middle of your fave bits and I don't want to rain on your parade, but I nearly turned into your man from falling down at that gig. I was about to pull out a machine gun because literally the the gig was only on for an hour. It was like Spaghetti Junction, people running to the toilet, people running to the bar, people like chatting. And I was like, we're at you a concert. Were, you, you were far back though, Andrea. I wasn't, I was in the middle. So then when I ha- when that all happened, I was about to be like, I have to get out of here because I'm actually going to thump someone in the face. Violence is not the answer, et cetera, et cetera. So I went further back and it was fine. But literally there was not one bit of attention. It was like, it was like everyone had bought these tickets, didn't even know who Caribou was. And then uh, weren't really like watching the show and everyone was just focused on getting pissed. It was like, Oh my god! Anyway, back to your favorites. I, I, I had, had a different. Them. I had a different experience, but I was up right up the front with everyone who was very focused on the art on the artist. Yeah, well, artists. Uh, and isn't it funny that you can both be at the same thing and yet have two completely? The show was brilliant. I just wanted yeah. to see more of it, but I was literally like being fucking ramroded. I'm very cursy today. I'm sorry. 
ramroaded all over the place, literally. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm actually not moving. I'm just standing here. And if someone wants to get through me, they can actually push me down. And then they did. <laughs> Andrea, if I got in your fave bits like this, you would be right. I know. And I just was so frustrated. Okay, I literally was so about to, like, like I actually had to take rescue remedy. I was so stressed. <laughs> okay. Well, I had a good time <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> Um, Hawk Mountain which is the book by the new novel from Connor Habib friend of the pod he's doing an event for that in Fumley Stables on July 28th with Callan Doty who is um, the host of the podcast Ask a Mortician I think is a podcast and uh, Mark O'Connell uh, is hosting that and it's on the horror of the body and that'll be just really interesting smart people talking about smart and interesting stuff uh, what more could you want Um who Killed the KLF, the new documentary from the KLF. I heard that the other evening to watch it. So, so good. Mostly in terms of remembering or discovering all of the mad stuff they did. I know a lot of people know them as, you know, the the band that burned a million quid or whatever. But there's just so much other um, stuff that they were doing. How they were just so focused on being creative and how good their tunes were as well and how massive they got um, and all of the crazy stuff they did with journalists and their music videos and everything. Highly recommend. And uh, a duet with Tammy Wynette. Correct. Yes. Um, uh, how to Change Your Mind started watching that on Netflix. I know there's like every five minutes there's another series on psychedelics, but this one is adopted from the book that Michael Pollan uh, Pollan wrote about psychedelics basically um, and yeah it's really interesting especially on psilocybin and you know all of the stuff that you kind of know already like how you know the CIA and the American military shut down drug research that would have been really beneficial but then how it's kind of coming back now and um, the impact that these plant medicine can have so yeah that's another one to put in your little you're, you know, get, sh- get, Tom Cruise, get Tom Cruise on the case with the CIA. <laughs> He'll sort it out. <laughs> Another one for your shroom content. Um, what else are in my five bits? Oh, uh, Dublin Fringe launched loads of its bits. Check out the program there. There's loads of dadly stuff. Um, what, is it Xanthony's? One of his shows is called Oliver Cromwell is Really Sorry or something. I just think it's a hilarious title. Um, and of course, Wake. Get your tickets to that. There's loads of brilliant bits on that's going to be like super buzz um Kirkos Ensemble which is that um music collective who have a venue in Stony Batter in Dublin called Unit 44 it's their 10th birthday and they are having like a free festival vibe uh, at the end of the month you have to, you still have to book tickets but if you go to their website um Kirkos is K-I or K-O-S you can see all the little bits and they're screening a new um, piece by Emer Walsh who's such an amazing artist uh, called Land Cruiser and there's going to be mini concerts and just all around good vibes so check that out uh, if you live in D7 or beyond. And also this weekend, uh, Club Comfort are doing their Fet del Comfort uh, at the Rowan Club on the Liffey in Dublin. That'll be a good vibe. Um, so those are my fave bits. But now it's time for our occasional segment. It's JLo News. Yeah. 
Or marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me. If you haven't seen Marry Me starring Jennifer Lopez. Then you're an idiot. So they got married. It happened 20 years after they originally engaged. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck got married finally. And I'm just personally delighted and also scared because I'm scared I just hope it works out I just couldn't take I couldn't take another heart, heart trauma for Jennifer um, what are you change your acronym to now so it won't be JLo anymore it'll be J-F-F J-F yeah I've just J Jennifer A-F I feel like so uh, Jennifer Lopez obviously we do occasional items on JLo News on the podcast because uh, we're her number one fans um, if you have not been paying attention to her life trajectory in recent weeks, she got married to um, Ben Affleck in Las Vegas, um, which is just a, like deadly, total respect. And obviously they're going to have another massive party with all the celebs because it was just them and their kids. What are your thoughts on her changing her name to Jennifer Affleck? Like if my name was Jennifer Lopez, I would not change it to Jennifer Affleck. That's um, my point of view. Apart from the fact that I generally am into that anyway, but obviously go on. I think I respect anyone's decision to to have autonomy around what they call themselves or who they are. Yeah, like, of course, that's just (laughs) a cop out. That's a cop out. Like, we all think that we all want everyone to do what they want, Andrea. I'm talking specifically about her changing her iconic name to his not really iconic name at all. I think she's an icon herself, so she doesn't need an iconic name anymore. She has love and that's all you need. Marry me, marry me, marry. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm happy for them. And that is our JLo News. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is produced by Andrew Bagot of Costway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design Oh my God, are we actually doing this as the TC yeah. this week? Oh, Correct. Fab. Okay, go on. I'm not going to give it any introduction. Well, I'm it's just, just gonna... oh yeah, okay. Well, it is, it is this, the sound of it's the summer. It's an absolute banger. <laughs> Correct. That's all we have to say. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. And this has been United Ireland. And that was Parks, Parks and Rec. Send out the message to young people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, that it's kind of okay. Should the sea should get it? I want to send out the message to young people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, that it's kind of okay. Should the sea should get it? I want to send out the message to young people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, that it's kind of okay. Should the sea should get it? I want to send out the message to young people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, that it's kind of okay. Should the sea should get it? I want to.
drunk people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, that it's kind of okay, should the thieves have did it, I want to send out a message to young people to experiment with drugs, try drugs, 